You're listening to the White House and the Press podcast. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the White House and the Press podcast, where we try to make the complicated relationship between the White House and the press a little easier to understand. I'm your host, Helen Gibson. In the last two episodes, we've taken more of a historic look at the White House and the press. Talking to Dr. David Lee and several of my classmates here at WKU, we've learned about how certain presidencies have represented a shift in the way the executive branch and the news media interact, from Theodore Roosevelt to FDR to JFK and then even to President Richard Nixon. Each of these presidents did things a little bit differently, and in doing so, they changed the way we think about the relationship between the White House and the press. Today, we're stepping back into some more recent events. Specifically, we'll be looking at the presidential candidacy of Donald Trump. This most recent election cycle was different in a lot of ways, and we're not going to get into all of those differences in this episode, but I do want to talk about the ways in which Trump as a candidate challenged conventional notions of the way a presidential candidate should interact with the news media. To get some context for this conversation, I first wanted to talk to my journalism professor, Amanda Crawford. Professor Crawford has taught writing and reporting classes at WKU since the fall of 2014, but she also has 20 years of professional journalism experience under her belt, with bylines in Bloomberg, People, Businessweek, National Geographic, the Los Angeles Times, and many other publications. She specializes in political reporting, so I figured she'd be able to provide some great context for how President Trump's campaign was different. Just to start off, for people who maybe haven't followed a campaign before or don't know what's normal, can you describe what made Trump's campaign different? Well, politicians often blame the media for negative coverage, for things that they've sometimes done wrong or things that have been perceived poorly that they blame on the messenger, the media who's covered those events or that fall. Um, That is a pretty common strategy, but Trump's vitriol and how he deals with the media is really unique. Most people who want to run our country respect the First Amendment as the foundation upon which our freedom was based. And Trump doesn't seem to have that respect for the institutions of the media or the right of a free press or free speech at all. Um, His attacks on the media undermine the public's perception of the press entirely. And to that point, he's undermined completely the understanding of truth. Um, His outright lies, um, coupled with the attacks on the media, are really a disservice to our country as they really destroy the public discourse. Mm -hmm. And I guess that relates to his, uh, I don't know, use of the word fake news as well and just trying to change maybe the meaning of truth. Yeah, exactly. Um, He's calling things that are fake things that are not fake, obviously. Um, I didn't say that right. He's <laughs> he, he's labing, labeling legitimate news outlets and legitimate coverage of his administration as fake news because he doesn't like it. Um, that is something we've never seen before. Like I said, most politicians, they might not always agree with the media. They might not always agree with the press coverage they receive, but they fundamentally respect the institution of the the free press and the First Amendment. Um, And that's where I think Trump's different. He doesn't seem to respect the work that the media does in our democracy. 
And for most journalists, that's really important to us. We do see ourselves as having a role in democracy because we help to educate the public and to be a watchdog on government. Where do you think his hateful rhetoric towards the media comes from? Why do you think this is a fight that he chose to take up and pick with the media? Well, like I said, I think it's just an extension of a strategy that's been present in, poli- present in politics for a long time, which is to blame the media um, whenever something comes out against you negative. Um, it's easy to blame the messenger. That's why that's a cliche, right? Um, he just takes that to a, a much different level. Um, I think that he is less concerned about the havoc that he wreaks, quite frankly. And that's where I think he is different. Um, Other presidents have fundamentally respected the institution, even um, at times when they feel like they are being attacked. That's that level of respect is just gone. And I think he knows because it's been beat down over the years. It's been beat down by um, the talking lines on both sides. that The mainstream media is, is out to destroy whatever they care about. Um, and he knows that he can exploit that opening. I think that he's fundamentally a showman and, and someone who knows how to get ratings. And yet there's a there's a saying that no president ever lost points for going after the media. Right. It's something we can all unite against sometimes, it seems like. And it seems like people have united against that. I mean, talk about your experience at a Trump rally with him speaking out against the media and then people really buying into that. Because I think I've remembered you saying before that that was the case. Well, we went to a, a pretty small mm-hmm. uh, Trump rally. Um, I took students in the Flashaker Green class last year, politics and the press. And we went to the Trump rally in Ohio that was held um, in the weekend before the election. And it was in an airplane hangar kind of away from um, very many towns. And it wasn't necessarily as big as some of his other rallies. But I still was surprised at how the media was treated. Um, First off, just by an organizational point of view, uh, normally there is an area where the media congregates and where they're they're given official space to put up their cameras, to sit down. There's tables and chairs provided sometimes so they can cover, you know, campaign rallies and other kinds of uh, events. Um, And Trump has that area, but it's cordoned off and the media is required to stay inside of this pen. Um, And then from there, he... He also blasts the media. Um, at the the Trump rally that we went to, I timed it. It was exactly 13 minutes from the time the plane landed until he said the first negative thing about the media. And when he did, he just turned to all of the press that was in that, that pen and my students that were standing nearby, and he said, you all are disgusting. And I knew about this rhetoric. I certainly had seen that this is the kind of thing he was saying to members of the media on the campaign trail. But to be there and feel that sort of directed at us um, was really startling. Um, And he continued then to bash the media and sort of directed the people in the crowd to turn. And they turned and they began you know, screaming at the press that was there to do its, their job. Um, I talked to one of the reporters afterwards about it and, you know, asked him, you know, if this happens all the time. And he told me that that was just not near as bad as it usually is, um, the way that the crowd dealt with them. And so I think that was really shocking to my students, um, particularly when we went there last year, that that kind of, like I said, that kind of, of, of real hate is being thrown at them from the stage. Now, whether or not President Trump actually hates the media, I don't know. I think that this is all sort of part of um, a game for ratings of which the media is also complicit. 
But um, I, I do think it's dangerous to democracy. Mm-hmm. Was that Trump rally experience surprising for you at all? Or were you kind of expecting it to be that way? Expecting it to an extent. I certainly had read about it and seen coverage and talked to people who were covering Trump rallies to know what to expect. But to, like I said, to feel that kind of, uh, I think I used the word vitriol earlier, but to feel that kind of vitriol thrown at you. it um, And from the crowd, from everyone jeering at you at a rally. I've never had that happen before. Um, so I wouldn't say it's shocking, but it certainly was an experience and a learning experience for us all. Right. And. I mean, the relationship between the media and the president or presidential candidates is supposed to be adversarial, um, but this is a different level, right? Yeah, and I don't know that it's supposed to be adversarial. It's supposed to be, um, I guess, we're supposed to you know, provide scrutiny. Um, and I think that people have a, a misconception of what we do and why we do it. Um, we can't do our part in our society if we just reported good news all the time. Um, our job is not to make people look bad or, or to be an adversary or to be an enemy of the president, but certainly our job is to be a watchdog and to pay attention and to provide the kind of scrutiny that um, official actions require. Uh, I think that people get disheartened about the negativity in politics in general. They don't feel like government is working for them or the institutions of our country are working for them. And the media, and the media is a good scapegoat um, because they hear the things they don't want to hear on the media. They hear things they disagree with. They hear ideas that they feel um, undermine their own. Um, and they are, are reacting against that. And I think, you know, Trump is, is playing on that that distrust in the institutions that we have among, among folks across the country that are feeling downtrodden. One of my current classmates in the Fleischacher Green Scholars and First Amendment Studies program, Emily Pride, was one of those students Professor Crawford took to that Trump rally in Ohio last year. To try to get a little bit of a better idea of what a Trump rally is like and what that rally was like specifically, I sat down with Emily, who is a senior at WKU majoring in corporate and organizational communication with an emphasis on political communication. Thanks for agreeing to let me ask you some questions about your experience going to a Trump rally, because I think that's something that few people probably have done in the grand scheme of things, but we're all very interested in. So mm-hmm. first of all, can you just tell us how you ended up at a Trump rally, why you wanted to go, how you ended up there, um, how that all began, I guess. Okay, so I was in a class with Dr. Ardry in the political science department called Fundamentals of Campaign Management. And so for our final project, kind of final experience for that class, we got to go to Ohio Um, which is the closest swing state here in Kentucky. And we were provided with a lot of different opportunities in that short amount of time, whether it be canvassing on the Clinton campaign or visiting a Trump rally. There were several other opportunities in local and state politics there, as well as those national politic opportunities with the Trump and Clinton campaigns. And so we were kind of given a choice to do kind of whatever we wanted, however we wanted to make our experience for that 
time period. And so I, being a political science junkie, I wanted to get as much experience as possible. So I did the Clinton activities and the Trump activities, even though um, I didn't necessarily identify with all of the politics of both candidates, but I wanted to have that experience, especially knowing that one of them could possibly be the next president of the United States at that time. And so it sounds like you kind of, part of the reason you wanted to go to the Trump campaign was just because you were curious, mm-hmm. wanted to see, you know, both sides of the political spectrum. So what was it like at the Trump campaign? What did you experience? Can you just, I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but just as much as you can walk us through yes. that day and what you saw. I really wanted to go to see how the atmosphere was. Um, I had obviously from news and um, other people's social media, things like that, I had seen kind of the atmosphere at Trump events because he is such a polarizing figure um, for the Republican Party. And so I wanted to see what what it, what, it, what he was about in real life. Um, there's, there's so much we can gather from watching the news or hearing the radio, things like that. But until you get to experience that atmosphere up close and personal, you, you can't really decide how you truly feel about something until you're experiencing it. And so I wanted to go see what it was all about. Um, it was in the middle of nowhere in Ohio in an airplane hangar. Um, it was like an airplane fac- parts factory, but they had a runway. So we got there probably two to three hours in advance of the actual rally because you have to spend so much time, you know, because you have to park so far away. we ha- You have to get through all of the traffic that's going there because it was like one lane road in and out of this rally. Wow. And so there's thousands of people trying to go to this rally. And so we go in, we have our, our group together. Um, and then we actually had to hop a fence. I'm not really so sure about that one. Um, but there was several layers of fences that we had to get through, several different um, security type instances and so then we had to get searched and all that kind of thing there was a list of things we couldn't and could not bring in and even though it was free to go to the rally we still had to have tickets um, and we had to tell basically online who we were where we were from that way they knew who was there at the rally which I thought was very interesting Um, then once we got through kind of that security or whatever we kind of were funneled into this large room where the rally was actually gonna be held Um, probably the largest room I've ever been in because they had the side of the airplane hangar open, and there were thousands upon thousands of people in this room. And we were probably halfway in the room um, where we were standing. We were kind of near where the press area was, which if you're not familiar with how the press works at Trump events, is that they're kind of fenced in towards the middle, um, which was very interesting to see. Um, and we were given very strict instructions by our professor. You know, if anyone asks if you're a journalist or just say that you're a student at WKU, um, she wrote our, we didn't have service out there. And so she wrote her phone number on all of our arms and said, if you're lost, like have someone call this number if something happens. Um, because there are, were previous instances of violence at a Trump rally, which I think that was the largest concern, um, was just making sure that we were safe, especially because we were not all necessarily there to support Trump, but just kind of to experience it. Um, and so it was just very interesting. Everyone had signs, there were shirts, apparel. Um, I definitely felt kind of out of place because everyone had on their, their Trump gear or Make America Great Again gear or their signs. And I was just there, you know, in my plain WKU t-shirt. Um, so it was very, very exhilarating I think and we waited for a very long time it was like when is when is Trump gonna get here when is Trump gonna get here um, and then all of a sudden you see the plane like land like beyond where the hangar is and the plane kind of was on the tarmac for a while just kind of circling around trying to 
figure out when to let people off the plane. And then all of a sudden you like see the doors open and the steps ascend and then there comes Donald Trump and his people. And so that was just kind of surreal um, and being able to like, you know, the crowd is going crazy and things like that. So it was just very, it was a very surreal experience. It was one of those things where I was like, what did, what just happened? Like after over, after it was over. And I remember writing like in my journal that night, I was like, literally, I don't know what happened. Like it was just so, like I'm not a Trump supporter at all, but just like being in that atmosphere, you just felt so like patriotic and involved in the political process. And it was just very interesting because you very rarely have an opportunity to go to a rally of that magnitude here in Bowling Green, which is really cool. For sure. And it does sound very surreal. I mean, that picture of him stepping off the plane. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize you guys got to see that. Like, that's just crazy. Yes. It was so cool. And I, I have like these grainy photos from my iPhone of me zooming in because we still were pretty far back. But like, I still have videos on my, like saved in my Snapchat memories of everything that day. And I was just so focused on documenting because I was like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Even if he hadn't been elected president, you still would have gotten to see a presidential candidate in the flesh hearing what they're saying which is not an opportunity that we all get to have in person which I thought was so cool right right and you kind of hinted at this but okay so since this is a um, podcast that focuses on the relationship between Mm -hmm. the president and the press what was that relationship that day at the Trump rally Mm -hmm. did Trump talk about the press at all did you see um, any weird encounters of him with the press or his supporters Mm -hmm. with the press it was probably, he probably gave a 20, 25 minute speech and five minutes, not even five minutes into the speech, he was already calling out the press and kind of making fun of them. He basically encouraged the crowd to turn around and jeer and boo at the press, which I thought was very interesting because you want these people to cover you. You want them to write good things about you, but here you are kind of making fun of them, making a mocking of them. And I was just amazed at how people were so like, gung-ho to go ahead and do what he says which I think is you know part of the draw of Trump is he kind of has that you want to go with what he's saying because it's just so radical so different from what everyone else is saying so like I I was surprised at how easily people were going along with what he was saying but at the same time I was like this is not surprising at all because this is what we've seen over and over and over again. Um, but it was just kind of odd. And we were so close to them, like where they were standing. So I was like, they're booing me. <laughs> they know I'm, <laughs> I'm not here supporting him, but you know, in, in actuality they weren't, but it's very interesting. The amount of people that were there from the press was also because like, this is a random airplane hangar in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. But at the same time, you know, you're there with the people. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm, for sure. Do you think his treatment of the press along the campaign trail, I mean, I know that's just one mm-hmm. example, um, but do you think that's telling at all of his relationship with the press now that he is president? I mean, he hasn't really um, gotten off on the best foot, I think, yes. with a lot of members of the media. I think even from when he announced his campaign, I think immediately the nation including the press, immediately discredited him because he was an entertainment figure before a political figure um, compared to the rest of his Republican counterparts that were also running for president. And so I think the press never gave him a chance in the beginning. And so I think it's not necessarily the press's fault for their relationship, but I definitely think that created that rocky start. Um, And then, you know, Donald Trump's distrust of the press and calling them fake news and things like that. So I wasn't necessarily surprised when he got into office and had that rocky relationship with the press because we've seen that since he 
started his campaign. And so I think, I don't necessarily think it's going to get any better. I don't know if it's going to get any worse, but I think it's just the reality of the nature of the media in the United States and the nature of Donald Trump. Of course, I also wanted to hear from a current member of the press. So I reached out to Jeremy Fugelberg. In April, Fugelberg became the editor of the Sioux Falls Business Journal, but before that, he was a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, where he covered the 2016 presidential election. As such, he's able to provide some great insight on what it was like to cover Trump from the campaign trail as a member of the news media. Here's part of our conversation. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to tell us a little bit about your time covering the presidential election. Um, Yeah, my pleasure. Now, you are currently the editor of the Sioux Falls Business Journal, but during the election season, you were a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Is that correct? Yep. I was a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, and then uh, because it's part of the USA Today network, also sort of uh, working for USA Today as needed. uh, And of course, all our content uh, went to the network and USA Today. Um, so yeah, so covering uh, the specifically the presidential campaign, some other races here and there, but mostly focusing on um, the presidential race uh, first during the primaries, uh, including chasing Ohio Governor John Kasich around in South Carolina, and um, and then uh, during the general uh, between, uh, of course, Clinton and Trump. Mm-hmm. And so what did that look like? I mean, were you mainly focused on local events, you know, as politicians came through your area, or were you all over the country following these politicians along the campaign trail? So we covered, so first, yeah, mostly Ohio. Uh, we had a, a discussion early on uh, when we started looking at how we were going to cover the election, and we knew, of course, it was, I mean, it's a big deal every time, um, but Ohio being the state that it is and, and tends to be a bellwether state, um, we knew there was going to be a lot of attention, and so there was going to be a lot of pressure on us um, to do a good job uh, representing what the race was like in Ohio. Uh, so we kind of approached it two different ways. We said, let's focus on attending um, campaign events within a, a rough uh, perimeter around Cincinnati, where we're based, um, but then also focus on uh, voters statewide. So, you know, we, throughout the race, you know, we were sure attending campaign events, but we were also traveling throughout the state, uh, interviewing people um, of all different all different types and locations, um, asking uh, what they were going to do and what they were voting for and what they thought. Uh, so that was sort of our two different focuses. But, uh, yeah, definitely Ohio-based. Other than the primaries, um, we followed we followed Kasich around because he's the Ohio governor, but we were definitely focused in Ohio um, mm-hmm. throughout the race. And Ohio was a, was it a swing state or one of those states that was a little more undecided? Uh, so the projections all along were that it was going to go for Trump, um, with a few exceptions. There was a few times during the race when it looked like it was possibly going to go to Clinton. Um, so it, it was really less of a swing state than it was sort of a, a bellwether, an indicator of kind of where the rest of the country was going to be going. Um, and we thought for a while that it, it was possible that Ohio was going to vote Trump and the rest of the country could vote Clinton was kind of what the polling showed, um, which would have been a switch because uh, Ohio, like I said, typically is a is a bellwether. Um, so that was going to be... That was going to be actual news, and we, we thought going into the election that was probably how it was going to work out, and of course it didn't. 
Ohio ended up being exactly right, the bellwether for the rest of the country as a state that voted for Trump. Right. Still, that probably made it a very interesting place to be covering the presidential election. Yes. Yes. So you have, I mean, Ohio is such a diverse state to begin with, um, you know, between rural and urban uh, and different types of economies within one state where you have uh, industrial areas and you have very rural areas and you have service economies in different cities uh, and some parts that, you know, form a rust belt, some that aren't. Uh, so you have, it's a very diverse state uh, that, that is really, I mean, that's where it gets the bellwether reputation partially too, but uh, it's fascinating because of the, the range of perspectives that you hear as you travel around. For sure. And had you ever covered a presidential election before, or was this totally new to you? I'd never covered it full-time before. I'd actually, uh, so I previously worked in South Dakota. My first job for the Watertown Public Opinion, I um, covered uh, primary Democratic primary visits uh, in 2008 of uh, Obama and Clinton, uh, who came to South Dakota because it was down to the wire, and that was the next state up, and uh, they hadn't uh, they hadn't quite figured out that Obama was going to be the nominee yet. Uh, so yeah, they both both uh, made campaign visits to Watertown. So that was my first brush; would have been 2008, and uh, got to interview Obama in person, which was pretty interesting. Um, and then uh, could see even then that it seemed like the Clinton campaign was kind of on its last legs. And sure enough, I think it was the next week. Um, they declared that Obama had enough votes to, to seal up the nomination. So I, besides that that brush, uh, during my first job, I hadn't, uh, you know, I've covered a lot of politics, but I hadn't covered at the presidential level before uh, last year. Covering this election, was it different than you expected, or was there anything that surprised you? I know it was a, um, a unique election year. Yes, and that's so, uh, it's hard to say first because I haven't covered presidential elections before. I mean, I've certainly done a lot of reading, but that's not the same. Um, and because this was very a very unique uh, cycle with uh, a couple of very interesting candidates, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I knew sort of what the conventional wisdom was and was following along with that. Um, but even, I mean, up until the end of the election, um, you know, if I had to bet, I probably would have thought that Clinton was going to win nationally. I thought Trump was going to win in Ohio. Um, so I don't know. I, I still I still look back and question how I covered that year and wondering what it was that I missed. Um, we focused, and I focused myself really hard on getting out, talking to a lot of regular folks, like not staying in bubbles, um, uh, going to talk to a very diverse range of people, um, way, way, way outside of Cincinnati, uh, middle of nowhere. I was knocking on doors and talking to people on sidewalks. And um, and it's still very, I don't know, I, I struggle going back and, and kind of a uh, kind of an operating theory that I have is I, I think there's probably some things that I missed, but I also know um, I think a lot of people were voting for Trump and they were telling people they weren't or they were... Um, implying that they're still really up in the air and they weren't really sure when really they'd actually decided a long time ago. I think you had a lot of sort of stealth Trump voters uh, in Ohio. That's really I interesting. I more. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, so, so case in point, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I spent almost a week uh, in uh, 
for uh, USA Today, hunting around um, to uh, look at one specific. So we split up uh, all sorts of this. I'm sorry, I'll start over. USA Today looked at trying to find a set of uh, cities, locations that would illustrate the different types of voters out there. And so I got assigned to cover um, the location in Ohio, and the focus was on um, looking at Springfield, uh, which is a town in sort of uh, west-central Ohio, um, and former industrial base, uh, definitely strong union presence still, uh, small university there. Um, so, yeah, so I, I went there, and it was... Uh, typically kind of on the fence. It could go one way or the other. It had voted for Republicans. It had voted for Obama. Um, so it was really seemed like kind of a good place, sort of a, almost maybe a bellwether inside of a bellwether to, to ask people and kind of get their perspectives. I spent a week there. I talked to so many people, and I left with the impression there was a lot of undecideds. There was a lot of people who didn't like Clinton. Um, there was a core of black voters that was very pro-Clinton um, and Union voters that were very split, um, and it was really hard coming out of there knowing how that city was going to vote. I mean, the story that I ended up writing kind of tried to split that difference, saying, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, there's still a lot of questions that people are asking about uh, about Trump and whether they really think he's that great, um, and and some core support for Clinton, but a lot of questions still among, say, union members that should be strong Democrats about whether they were going to support her. And um, I, I kind of punted because I just didn't have a clear answer coming out of that city. Um, and that city voted pretty decisively for Trump. <laughs> um, so that's really frustrating because I spent mm-hmm. a week there uh, and thought, I, and I talked to so many people and of all different parts of the city, um, uh, from blue collar to the, the um, college area and everything, and just didn't uh, just didn't come away with a really clear picture. Um, so, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of things to think about coming out of the out of last year. Yeah, definitely, and that kind of backs up your theory that you said before about people maybe voted for Trump but didn't tell anybody they were voting for Trump or something like that. Right, right, um, and I, you know it. I'd like to, it's possible I was asking the wrong questions. It was, uh, it's possible I was asking maybe some of the wrong people. Uh, I'm not sure. I know, too, you know, this last election, the media always gets demonized. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trump campaign was actively demonizing um, the media and portraying them as the enemy and out to get Trump and everybody else. And I can speak for myself, I was not out to get Trump or anyone else. Um but I, I, that was the perception out there, and especially if uh, people were leaning toward Trump and were believing the things that he was saying, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were taking that to heart. And so when somebody from the media comes and says, tell us what you think, um, they're not necessarily going to tell the truth if they don't want to. Um, if they think I'm just going to twist their words or lie or whatever, I, I could see why they wouldn't have an honest conversation with me. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's absolutely something that happened last year. Uh, To what degree, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's something I wanted to ask about as well. Um, Trump along the campaign trail had some pretty hateful rhetoric towards the media. What was that like to hear him 
say those kind of things while you were covering him as a journalist? Was it shocking to you? I mean, I'm, I just can't imagine. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm no stranger to being told that the media sucks and we're awful and we're biased. I mean, you can't work in this job without getting told that, uh, <laughs> getting, getting uh, blamed for one thing or the other. I mean, from the very first job I've had in journalism, I've been accused of being for or against people or super biased or whatever. It's just it sort of comes with the territory. Um, so just in general, that's not an unusual accusation. What was interesting is um, covering Trump and covering a lot of Trump rallies uh, was how it was just such a stock part of Trump's sales pitch. Um, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for Clinton or Democrats last year to say, like, oh, the media is, you know, ganging up on us on a certain issue or something. But for Trump, it was a major talking point. It was, it was sort of a, a standard line that he would have at every rally. Um, and it started out with blaming, saying, the cameras never swivel and look at how big these crowds are. And he'd pull that out occasionally later on in the election. But um, usually as time went on, I mean, there was something he, at every rally, he would point at the people in the press pen and say, you know, they're liars, they're deceiving you, they're just making things up, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was striking. It was striking how... Um, how crucial of a point that was in his campaign, um, how much he continually hammered on it. Um, and what was, and, and honestly, that didn't disturb me as much. I mean, he's a politician. He's blaming the media. That's pretty far from the course. Um, what was disturbing is as the election went on, the reaction from rally crowds got angrier and meaner and scarier, honestly. Um, early early rallies were much more sedate and calm, at least in, in uh, the ones I attended in Ohio compared to some we saw other parts of the country uh, where people would, you know, they'd boo. He'd say, oh, there's the lying media again, and, he, and everyone would boo. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. Um, by the end of the election, he had a rally in Cincinnati, I think the week before, and I was there with an intern, um, and it was tense. It was very, very tense. Um, there, it was uncommon, or it wasn't wasn't uncommon to have people yell at you, even individually. Um, but this felt aggressive. Like people were aggressively standing, like right by the press, the barrier into the press room, like staring at you. Um, I had people behind me when I was seated in that area, uh, yelling about emails. And of course, I don't have any control over. Clinton's emails, but he's yelling, release the emails, or something like that. I'm like, I, okay. Um, people, like, sticking a smartphone, like, in your face. So you're sitting there just on your laptop trying to take notes, and people, like, walking up and down the press row uh, carrying a smartphone like they're recording you for, for later, and you're kind of like, why are you doing that? Um, at one point, that rally, people started getting so aggressive, the Secret Service lined up, um, a few agents lined up in front of the the press area just to sort of serve as a barrier. Um, and that was a, that was a rally where the national media actually, uh, came in late in the speech and Trump was verbally assaulting them on the way in and people were yelling and screaming like I've never heard. Um, and they ended up getting escorted out before the speech was even over. I think they had police protection to get out and get into their cars, um, prior to the thing ending just because, it was going to be dicey to get out uh, at the end of the speech. So 
it, it was intense. Uh, it was incredibly intense by the end of that race in ways that um, that grew over the the whole election. Wow. Yeah, that does sound very intense. And the picture that you painted, you know, of people putting their phones in your face and yelling and screaming and it just seems crazy almost. It, it, it was frustrating, too, because I'd go out. I mean, prior, they'd sort of lock us in the press pen at a certain point of the event. Um, not physically lock us, but say, you know, stay here. Um, but prior to that, I mean, I'd be out circulating through the crowd and talking to people, and people were nice. Like, people, uh, you know, you occasionally get people who are like, oh, I don't want to talk to you, um, and that's fine. But more, more often than not, people were willing to talk. And, I mean, if they're there, you know, at a Trump rally wearing Trump stuff, they're usually pretty open about why they like Trump and why they don't like Hillary and um, just various aspects of why they're there. Uh, and so people would be very open. And so I'd have that conversation with, with a lot of people and then go back in the press pen and, you know, they would be part of this crowd screaming at me in the next half an hour. Um, and it felt really weird because I was like, we just had a like totally normal human interaction where we were nice to each other. And now here we are with not a nice <laughs> interaction. Um, so it was just jarring. Um, um, but I really became jaded to it. I really became jaded to it by the end. Um, I didn't even, you know, by the by that last rally, I noticed how intense it was, but it was just kind of like, yeah, it's happening. Um, and I was there with an intern who, it was her first rally, um, and she was kind of terrified uh, and was like, is this what it's always like? And she went out to get quotes from the crowd and came back and she said, do I use the quote from this one guy who said, I hope somebody puts a bullet in Hillary's head. Hmm. Um, and I said, <laughs> so here we, I mean, it's her first like kind of campaign assignment and she has to deal with that sort of question. Um, but that's the, the level of intensity was at by the end of the campaign. Yeah. Do you think the fact that people bought into this hatred towards the media, um, shows that Trump was connecting with them in this way? I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think people already distrusted the media? And then when you have this politician on the stage saying these terrible things about them, it just kind of connects and fuels the fire? Yeah, no, I think I think that's right on. I think there's already, and I think it's I think it's healthy to have a distrust of the media, just like any institution. Uh, I think that's a healthy approach as a as a citizen to to question. Um, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was feeding into deeper concerns about how elites um, have manipulated and ignored people, uh, and that includes the media. And in this, you know, in the case of the media, I mean, actively lying is his claim, and making things up, and all sorts of things. Um, so I think that feeds into that fed into existing uh, existing biases, uh, but it and certainly reinforced it. Um, yeah. And that's interesting what you said about, you know, it's supposed to be kind of an adversarial relationship. They're supposed to distrust the media a little bit. But do you think there's anything that journalists or members of the media can do to kind of gain the public's trust back or show them the importance of journalism and what journalists are here to do? Uh, that's a big question. <laughs> I, <laughs> um I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it's like for me, uh, because I don't know if I can speak for all the media. I know that for me, um, 
I believe that building a relationship with the people that I cover is crucial. I think that it is absolutely important that I know about the place that I'm reporting on. I know the people. I know the history. Um, I, I, I see the larger trends. Um, I'm not parachuting in somewhere um, uh, just totally unaware, just looking for a soundbite. And I think it's important to spend time with people and um, talk to them and just be human um, when when I'm interacting with, with people. Um, and I think so just in a basic way, and I also think it's important to get outside of your bubble and constantly be questioning yourself of, you know, am I talking to the same people? Am I talking only to institutions and representatives for institutions? Um, uh, am I talking to the same types of people, right? Like, am I only talking to white people? Am I only talking to black people? Am I only talking to rich people? Um, I think it's very easy, and I know it has been for me, it's very easy to fall into patterns and talk to similar people and kind of crank out things. Um, but that's not a service to the people that you cover and your readers. And um, and I think it's important to always be questioning yourself and, and pushing yourself out of the existing bubble. Um, and I think when you do those things, I think people will learn to trust you because they know you. Um, and I think also accountability journalism is still important. It's important to question uh, claims that other centers of power make when when government officials or politicians claim things, it's important for us to fact check that and question that and be honest about it. And I think people respect that as well. So um, I don't know, it's a big question that you're asking, but I know when it comes to my own life, I, I think holding people to account um, and being connected to the community that you're covering, uh, those are crucial aspects to to build and gain trust with people. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think this might be my last question here, but do you, did you leave the campaign with any major takeaways or any um, lessons that you learned? That might be a big question as well, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh one basic takeaway is if you think you know something, you may not. <laughs> uh, and to constantly interrogate your assumptions, um, not just get out of the bubble, but interrogate your assumptions. Um, and, man, when it comes to campaigns, you know, the traditional, the conventional wisdom was that having a well-organized, you know, big campaign with lots of offices, that stuff mattered. Um and that was something that I tracked in Ohio, and the Trump campaign was practically non-existent in the state. Um, you know, further on in the race, you certainly had a little bit more of a presence, and you had people getting out signs and stuff like that. Um, but for most of the campaign, it was uh, lots of sort of unofficial, you know, volunteers trying to get together and organize. It wasn't uh, a central organization from the campaign. Um, which went against sort of the conventional wisdom, and I thought that would be a flaw for the Trump campaign, and it just wasn't. Um, and I think analysts and journalists alike are still trying to figure out why that was, why this was uh, an exception. Uh, so that's that's something I think that makes me really kind of question some assumptions for myself and, and others. Um, also, I mean, I so I actually got a chance to interview Trump personally um, and get to see some of the people that 
surround him um, and had sort of a confrontation even with one of his main people who is now the communications director at the White House. Um, and to see that loyalty uh, and the um, very strong belief they have in him um, and the gravitational field he creates for his uh, for his colleagues there, I guess, uh, his workers, because traditionally working for him, uh, that was really interesting to see in person and really has helped me uh, understand better as I've watched this White House um, struggle uh, with policy and dealing with Congress and dealing with Trump's uh, personality, um, it's made a lot more sense to me based off of what I saw from the campaign. Yeah, I'm sure that was a really unique opportunity to get to interview him and see up close yeah. what Trump and his people are really like. Well, like I said, I think that was all my questions that I had. Um, unless there's anything else you want to add, or no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's kind of weird now. I mean, I'm sitting here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, writing about a business expo next week, um, <laughs> which is not the same as covering a presidential race. Uh, there is, uh, unlike anything else in my career, the amount of international interest and uh, energy and intensity. Uh, that comes with covering a campaign. I've, I've never experienced that before. Um, that was really a cool experience. Uh, and I don't know if I end up doing that again in the future or what that looks like. Um, but, but I know looking back, that was, uh, that was a crazy, it was a crazy time. Uh, and, uh, I'm still sort of piecing through some of the lessons learned, but, uh, yeah, I'm really glad I got the opportunity to do it. Even from the campaign trail, it seems Trump turned our idea of the way a presidential candidate should treat the press upside down. We'll continue to look at Trump's actions and other issues surrounding the White House and the press right here on this podcast over the next few months. So stay tuned. Until next time, I'm Helen Gibson. Thanks for listening to the White House and the Press podcast. Special thanks to Jeremy Fuckelberg, Emily Pride, and Amanda Crawford for making this episode possible. The White House and the Press podcast is a project created for the Flyshecker Green Scholars and First Amendment Studies program at Western Kentucky University. To view more research, projects, and reflections from this class, check out our website at wkujournalism.com slash whitehouseandpress. 